Hello! Uh, welcome to All the Way Down, episode 9. I'm Dash. I'm here with Knox. How are you, buddy? I'm Knox. <laughs> <laughs> that is now a state of being. Uh, you look a little sniffly today. How's that working? I am a little sniffly. It's, uh, I just developed an allergy thing weird later in the day, so um, I'm trying to counteract it with a vasodilator. Uh, it's pre- prescribed by my doctor. Um, don't worry about what it is. Uh yeah. Anyway, I've uh I I don't have allergies and I'm not allergic to anything. Uh, you know, it's just it's not a thing. But what what is it? Uh, your body being an asshole to you all the time for things that exist in everyday life. Uh, right. Yeah. So like my 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 sinuses will swell up real bad. I'll get real sneezy. Whole you know itchy, watery eyes, all that sort of thing. Uh, any kind of skin problems, like I have like eczema, so it gets worse. It just itches way worse. Um, which is nice because when you take Benadryl, it makes you like, it knocks you out, but God, it makes the itches go away. That's like the best part. Is it like a, um, seasonal thing or a certain kind of a day? For me, it's usually all the year round, but the season's just really bad right now because of all our pollen. In Virginia. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, so uh, I don't think we even talked about a topic today, but I do have a game in mind I would love to talk about, but I think you do too. Yeah, first, like, tiny bit of news. Uh, we le- Last week, we touched on uh, the idea of upscalers. We were talking about upscalers just a little bit, how, you know, originally FrameMeister was, like, the one, the breakout one. Uh, and then we have OSSC, and then we have RetroTink, and now, though, I don't know if you saw, but the RetroTink is going to be on sale on uh, on May 1st. On I May 1st, that. you can buy them. I saw that the second, actually, we right before we went live. <clears throat> I, I, I commented that I was surprised at the price, because his other products are like at least 100 bucks cheaper than that. Um, I was thinking the 5X was going to be kind of like, uh, here's the ultimate end-all, be-all, plug-and-play, let's get real HD from our from our old consoles with just one thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Which I think, yeah, and I think that that is what it's being sold as. Uh, and that said, it's being sold at a price that is competitive with the upscaler, with the other upscalers, but Th- just that it's competitive with them so yeah we're, we're talking it's gonna be 275 uh at the start and then it's gonna be 300 um after like the initial start i think the creator mike chi is saying that like the the actual components of the thing itself are getting harder to uh acquire and so yeah I yeah, actually just heard the DE10 Nano itself, which for those who don't know uh, about FPGA, is the basis of a lot of FPGA devices, including the Mister. Uh, so I've I've heard that the components for that just got harder uh, to get. So Misters are going to go up in price a little bit, probably. Uh, I don't know if he uses the DE10 Nano on board for for the boards for the retro tanks, but I do know that he does use FPGA in some sense. So. Maybe yeah, that could be why. Um, I, like I, I have here. Uh, I showed this last time. I have here a retro tank mini. This is the one where you have S video as the is your best option with uh with you know composite and then you you get your you get your HDMI output. Uh, you get 480p out of this. This is for the majority of people's uses. This is gonna solve everything they need because they understand what these plugs are. 
that's how they hooked their con- consoles up before. And uh, yeah, this is 80 bucks. And then we have this product that's going to be more than 300 bucks plus than that. I'm sorry, yeah. 200 bucks. Yeah. So like, I, I it, it's, it's um, definitely more of a, of a hobbyist specialist kind of thing where I, I feel like uh, if you look at the, the retro tank, like you have the $80 one, um, it kind of shows how like pretty decent uh, modern retro gaming is like more accessible than ever um, just due to like the, the ease of use of a device like that um, and how well it works. But yeah, uh, as far as the like super into it crowd goes where if you want a frame meister and an ossc um yeah it, you know it it uh seems like this new thing the the tink 5x is more for that crowd i i'm really excited to try it out because um it is still cheaper than a frame meister and it's cheaper than what i paid for the ossc except ossc being open source i don't know how much cheaper you can build it yourself but probably a bit cheaper um, but either way, uh, you know, there's also the GBS control, which is a huge contender that's now gone into the market. Uh, you can piece that together for as cheap as like 40 bucks. I think like it's, really, I've it, not I, heard of this one. Yeah. The GBS control it's GBSC dash AIO for all in one. It's, um, so there's this bit, there's been this device for the longest time called the GBS something. It's like, I can't remember the exact, it's a weird name that it's called GBS for, but it uh, was used actually for a long time by the enthusiast uh, market to upscale video games. But it's really just not that great, actually. It's nothing compared to the Frame Meister. But recently, some guy had uh, made some custom firmware. And I believe he released those. Uh, I, I believe he released that firmware over uh, GitHub or so. And then people have been taking that firmware and then you know adding on different hardware to the GBS board and making like an all-in-one enclosure where it's got uh, this. This board adds a Wi-Fi module. This board makes it so um, you know you can you can accept VG or you can output VGA HDMI or whatever it's your little adapter even though it's just like a, a normal Amazon adapter you can kind of bolt it in place and then you know when you're adding the plastic chassis around there it'll be uh it'll be like one solid piece it won't be it, it'll be like an OSSC you know how it's kind of like layered together yeah um, the sandwich yeah and 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 I'm actually thinking of buying one of those before I even think about buying a RetroTank 5X because not only can I get um, you know, t- I I can get 5x scaling out of that thing. I want to say w- with with very little to no lag. The problem is it's it's one of those devices that is also a little bit more on the tinkerer's side of things, where RetroTink is plug and play. Um, but the main reason I want it actually is for its ability to downscale everything to 240p. Um, I watched a video where someone was using the GBSC AIO to downscale uh, a lot of modern retro video games. That's, this is actually uh, a great channel to shout out. This is uh, My Life in Gaming. My Life in Gaming is the Bible when it comes to learning information about analog video, how it works and pertains to retro gaming on YouTube. Their, their videos are insanely informative. Can't recommend them enough. They did, they did a GBSC video 
in which they were taking like modern retro games like Shovel Knight and then play and then like putting them ultimately on a PVM. Like they would have to put it uh, through a first gen PS4 or a PS3, something that they could get to output to 480p. Um, I think the PS5 only does it as a failure state in case something goes wrong and a TV can't accept anything higher than 480p. But anyway, they uh, take 480p and the GBSC will take that and downscale it to 240p. So they were playing Shovel Knight on a PVM. And for games that didn't have a lot of like zooming, it looked fantastic. And then there were some other games that just fell completely apart. But, you know, those are 1080p games meant to go down to 240p. That's a feature that most people won't want with a RetroTink 5X. I get it. I get it. I'm a tinkerer. I'm going to save money if I want to If I want to deal with it. But the thing that's cool about the GBSC is it has a web interface. That's why it has a Wi-Fi card. It's pretty cool. You, like, you go to, like, a a website and just press buttons to do what you want it's so yeah so v so if you have this thing in your setup upscaling or downscaling like you said that means that you can access it via your home network on your pc like on your pc you would open up chrome or whatever or Or your 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 favorite web browser or your phone yeah open up your your web browser and and access the upscaler um i'm on my couch i'm on my ipad that, I'm going, yeah i want nes mode fuck this give me i that's don't want awesome yeah. that's also, so cool it also takes in uh 24 kilohertz uh uh console signals i think as well 24 kilohertz being a scan rate that arcade monitors would put that out it takes consoles um that would put that out and makes it so you can put that down to 240p as well that's really cool. So yeah, I want to talk about the downscaling a little bit because I I think the Tink 5X does downscaling also. Oh, um, that's if it does, that's a big feature. I I've ne- if it does, this is the first I'm hearing of it though. Okay, I know I've heard Mike Chi talking a lot about downscaling lately. Whether or not that specifically pertains to the 5X, I'm not a hundred percent sure on, but I think it might do some of that. Uh, what's interesting about it, though, is that the the so the games that you're downscaling would have to um, be in the right pixel resolution, and this is actually like a topic for me because I've got like I've got a bone to pick with a lot of uh, retro style modern games. Pick that um, bone. So if you're gonna do pixel art. Right, and you want your game to look like an old game, you can't just make all your art assets be blocky and say it's a pixel art game. Like you gotta, Absolutely. you have to commit to a resolution. You know what I mean? And here's what I mean by that: is like, let's say you have a game where all of the each pixel of the game is like. 16 pixels on your monitor so so it's a four by four square right so that that's how the game is blocky is because every pixel is four by four pixels and so they're that big a lot of games do sub pixels where uh where it like shovel knight is a great example shovel knight is a game where there's this like cool parallax scrolling in the back and all that but the problem with it is that if you just move your character a little bit they'll end up on a half pixel your character doesn't stay lined up on that pixel grid 
You know what I mean? So, like, if you look at their feet standing on the ground, their feet aren't lined up with the pixels that the ground is because the character moves smoothly across the 1080 resolution instead of moving one game pixel at a time, if you know what I mean. I can, uh, I can tell you something else that uh, I spin off of that. Maybe it's not so related. But one thing that has always bothered me in video games is when you see a character walking, but their walking animation is just enough to where instead of something walking like a normal thing, it looks like Michael Jackson's moonwalker just, you know, walking slowly and sliding across the terrain. That's always pissed me off. Yeah, when it, when a character's like feet, the the speed of their feet moving in their walk animation is not the same as their actual movement speed. Yeah, that drives me nuts. Like they're either they're either ice skating or they're yeah. like moonwalking. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, um, there, there like there's a few other things. Like some games do things where um, so some games do things where uh, pixel art will like rotate. So, so the square pixels now become like diamonds, you know, because they're spinning. You know what I mean? Like Hotline Miami is the perfect example of this. I've they're... never seen this game, actually. I've wanted to. Okay. Well, just imagine you, or, or Mario Maker. Fucking Mario Maker does this all over the place. You've got a bullet bill, right? And the bullet bill, like, rotates and turns like this, you know? But oh, it, okay. Yeah. But, like, it looks like it's like a sticker that you're spinning instead of it, like, looking like an old game. This actually bothered me a lot and is one of the chief reasons that I saw that made me so uncomfortable that when i when i saw minecraft for the first time when i saw that little toy sword that you can buy that actually they sell in like a barnes and noble it's like a pixel sword that you can hold but you know you're holding something jagged because the pixels are diamond shaped they're out of shape and when you have that in the game same with the pickaxe in that game it's you're just holding that physical shape in your hand in the game and it doesn't correspond to any of the quote-unquote pixels around you. I n yeah. I've always hated that, like, why are pixels in this game if this isn't a quote-unquote pixel game? You know what I mean? Dude, I... Minecraft is like it's is like a whole different category of of shitty art style that I hate uh, <laughs> for like for like a different reason. Um, but yeah, so 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 just th th these are just like pet peeves I have about pixel art when people when when it's not done carefully. I don't like when there's sub pixels, you know, when the character can come de-aligned with the pixel grid behind or below them, you know, and that kind of thing. I don't like when when sprites are able to rotate and become diamonds, you know? I also don't like when the size of the pixels are irregular. Some uh. games have things where some items are, or some objects become, like, shrink or grow or that kind of thing, so then the actual pixels on this object are a different size than this object. That it looks pisses terrible. Me to no end. Yeah. I was going to say, that happens in a game... Um that I first emulated on Wii uh, called Samurai Showdown. And in a fighting game, this is super noticeable because of, well, what it is. So it's, it's camera zoom. It's whenever the action gets intense and both characters are real close in next to each other. 
when 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 something like that happens, the camera zooms way in as opposed to just giving you a full canvas view of the battlefield here. Uh, you just see way zoomed in pieces here, and of course the characters. It the zoom in is quick, and it's a quick action sequence, so you're not meant to notice. But man, you know when like you have uh, say you're playing Counter Strike and you turn um, V Sync off. Your computer's gonna run that thing just fine. It's gonna run at like 120 frames a second. And then you look around on your 60 hertz monitor, and when you're looking left to right, you see that vertical pixel tearing real bad? Mm -hmm. That's what it kind of looks like, except it's a permanent effect on the texture of the pixel art itself. It zooms in, and all that really nice pretty pixel art turns into, why is this shit way ugly and in my face for five seconds? Uh, it, it takes me out of the experience a little bit. At, at first, I thought it was actually just the way that we might emulate Neo Geo games, but that game is actually programmed that way. <laughs> um, the Last Blade Two does the same thing. It's but they're both great games. They're just that weird little quirk. Yeah, yeah. So like, I don't automatically hate any games that do this. You know, for example, like Binding of Isaac Rebirth, which I'm always talking about how much I love that game. That game commits every one of those pixel sins that I mentioned. So you know, uh, minor peeve doesn't ruin the experience. Right. But so here's how it should be, though. Here's how it should be is. If you're going to do pixel art, it means it doesn't mean that your all your artwork is big pixels. It means that your game runs at a small resolution that you're stretching to the uh, to the size of the screen. That's what it should mean, you know what I mean? So theoretically, you should be able to run your game where every pixel of your pixel art is one pixel on the monitor and then your game is just a tiny window in the middle of the screen and it should run like that and be fine. And then the way that people play it is, boom, blow it up to full screen, and every one pixel movement now becomes a large pixel movement, and then it looks really good. Here are some games that do that. Wings of V, awesome. Bloodstained Curse of the Moon, awesome, you know? Some, when games do it right, it looks so good. I thought the way you were framing that was um, that games that are going to be considered retro kind of styled games need to be essentially developed at the 240p resolution level and then just 5x you know I, exactly I mean, you think do you think that's how those were done that i can tell you for sure that's like how bloodstained was done because really? that game yeah that game it's actually like an option in the in the menu where you say like what what is screen size do you want do you want 1x 2x 3x and then what? that and then that changes the window size whoa 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 hang on which which bloodstained curse of the moon so curse of the moon theoretically can run natively at 240p i don't know if it's 240p specifically that's the next thing i want to talk about cuz i was going to say if that's true when are we getting a SNES cartridge? Right, right. We so need a here, port immediately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, so what I'm saying is, like, the way that I like pixel art to be done. Oh, also, Astral Gunners kind of does it this way also because that game is natively 720p. Anyway, uh, so if you play it in 1080, it, it, it does, like, a stretch. Uh, anyway, um, so if that's how I want games to be done of, like, it should be... One pixel is one pixel, and then when you play it in full screen, it is stretched. Uh, the like the next level of 
the next level of how you should be doing your pixel art and retro styled games is it should be 240p because even with something like Bloodstained, where it's done correctly uh, under my definition, I don't know if it would downscale to 240p nicely because I don't know if the 1x mode is actually 240 pixels tall. It's probably not because that doesn't scale to 1080 nicely and they probably wanted it to scale to 1080 nicely. Wouldn't think so, yeah. I would think... Um... I would think Bloodstained, if you downscaled it to 240p, you'd run into the same issue that a lot of people ran into, which was just straight up missing lines of artwork. Exactly. So, like, if you did have a game where you made its native resolution be 240p and then it stretched up, then, yeah, you could put it on a PVM. You'd get scan lines, and every one of the scan lines would be one line of artwork, and it would look absolutely gorgeous. But, yeah, I'm, I'm guessing even Shovel Knight probably ha is going to have, like, missing lines, you know, because it's not, it's not 240 pixels tall. Uh, you know, just I've like never played Shovel Knight, but... Uh, oh, well, like I said, that they did actually test that game, and it looked flawless at 240p. Okay, that's that's really good to hear. I think I said 240p. I meant, I meant 240p. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's just uh, that's some of my ramblings about about pixel art and, and just the kind of shit that I, I complain about all the time of, like, how it should look versus how, how people do it. Um but, you know, I, I feel like lately I've been seeing more games do it correctly. Uh, and then there's other weird uh, design choices, though. Like, like Celeste kind of confused me. Celeste has beautiful pixel art, right? But then, like, the text in the game, though, is just, like, smooth, smooth rendered font, you know, that just, like, looks... It looks good, you know, on a, on a normal monitor right but it's not it's not in the style of the game or like the characters have have drawn portraits and stuff so when there's dialogue you know all that kind of stuff is 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 smooth and then like the i, I want to say that the world select screen is like a 3d environment uh so yeah, it, it's like it's really only like the the action platforming gameplay that is pixel art, and it's really gorgeous. But you know, I kind of wish just the whole game was like that. But at least I don't, know. I don't know. I'm looking at the actual like gameplay on Google Images, and it it doesn't seem terribly far from like SNES graphics. I would say. Yeah, Celeste. It, right. It 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 looks uh it looks a little snessy. Yeah, I would say so at least. What um what what impresses me and is people who can take games like this and port them actually all the way back that far to like to SNES and stuff. So, did you have a specific topic that you'd like to discuss this week, or did you want uh, to talk about games? Uh, well, I, or, are know, we still talking about uh, upscalers? Do you have any other upscalers I, you want to talk about? No, that that was like the news thing. Um, oh yeah, the so. News. Uh, oh, by the way, Game Boy Advance consoleizers are finally back in stock also. So, well, they will I, be soon. So that's cool. I haven't had a need for one of those yet, but I tell you what, I saw the coolest shit. Someone is working on a, I don't, I guess it's 3D printed. It didn't look 3D printed. It looks straight up like, I don't know what you'd call it, like molded plastic. Someone made a, a 3D, or I'm sorry, a, a Game Boy Advance consoleizer 
shell that is like geometrically like round and kind of looks like if you took the back of a Game Boy Advance and extruded it all the distance that it needs to fit the GBA consoleizer hardware in it. So it That's, looks like if yeah. you picked it up and held it, it would feel like you were holding a, a really fat Game Boy Advance. So it's pretty cool. I think that's what, like, the generally what the new kits look like as far as what they're the design that they're sending. So, so a couple oh. nice things about the return of the of the GBA consoleizer. First of all, what is it? Um, so if you don't know, uh, the GBA consoleizer is a modification you can do to a GBA to consoleize it. Uh, it just puts an HDMI port and a Super Nintendo controller port on a Game Boy Advance, basically. So it's still the Game Boy Advance motherboard. It's a real, actual Game Boy Advance that uh, that you uh, connect a little extra board to that has an HDMI port on it and a Super Nintendo controller port. Boom, now your Game Boy Advance connects to a TV and you can play it with a Super Nintendo controller. And it's awesome it works really really well like if you're wondering like is it any good it's basically perfect uh <laughs> the the only thing that i that i wish it had is rgb out instead hey! of hdmi out i was gonna say it's not perfect at all without that i need i need analog out if i can get yeah. analog 240p out i'll be happy yeah, so that right that that's the only downside is is it's HDMI only out, so you gotta play it on a new TV. I've used it; it feels great, but you know, oh man, you with with analog out, it would be just that much slightly better, uh, and you'd be able to play it on a PVM, and that'd be nice also. So if you absolutely have to have analog video and play on a PVM, then your best bet is probably still to use a Game Boy player on a GameCube and use homebrew Game Boy interface software to run it uh, and to force 240p and all that. And, and that's still real good. But It's true. That's what I'm doing. Yeah. But, hey, if you're fine using HDMI, uh, the consoleizer is fantastic because, man, does it feel good to play with a... Super Nintendo controller. Um, How much does the consoleizer kit cost? So, uh, so, so the it, it is one sixty uh, oh. for the board, and that. Um, and Wait, so I'm, that's sorry, a, for, I'm sorry for the board. What is the board? Oh, sorry. It, it's it's one sixty for the kit to mod your Game Boy Advance, which means if you're thinking about doing it, what you don't get out of that is the plastic shell. The plastic shell you can three D print yourself. If you are able to do that, or they don't include the actual chassis with the hardware as the kit, you can 3D print it yourself, or it's another forty dollars. Not too bad. I don't own a 3D printer. It's that's a convenience charge I'm willing to pay. Right. Also, like one, if you even if you do own a 3D printer, uh, it's forty dollars for a really nicely printed one. I oh. own a 3D printer, and let me tell you, it takes like a lot of uh, maintenance and upkeep and calibration and lots of shit that I don't really have time for uh, in order to get good 3D prints out of it, you know? I, I try my best, but, like, man, it, it's... You need some time to dedicate, uh, you know, yeah. so, yeah. I'm still... I, I know a bunch of uh, Twitter electronics engineers who have done 3D printing stuff, and some have made a business out of what they've been selling. Um... Shout out to Todd's Nerd Cave uh, for that 
I guess it's the Eon Mark II HD or something, or the Carby. He just made like a little plastic support beam that just plugs into the vent, so you have strain relief for that big ass thing hanging I off saw the back of your that. GameCube. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, right, if you have, there's this GameCube thing that you can plug into the back of your GameCube and it has an HDMI out on it, right? And that's the, that's the whole deal with it. And yep. so, but that means, yeah, that like your, your cord is hanging out of this thing that's hanging out of the back of your GameCube and probably putting some pressure on it. And yeah, someone designed just a little 3D printed brace that you put down that supports the thing. That's awesome. I really like that. Because, that, that, man, one thing that, uh, that, that drives me nuts is seeing cords that are, like, hanging on things and hanging out of things, you know? Or, like, man, like, when people wrap up their, their, their controller cables and they have the part going into the controller, like, super taut pulled, oh, you know? No, it's like, yeah. nah, oh, The just... bend down, you can just see it, like, curling. Yeah, you gotta give it a little slack. Um... <laughs> Okay, and I'm glad we're bothered by this stupid <laughs> shit. We can identify with each other on this. Uh, but anyway, so so yeah, so nowadays it's 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 160 for the for the mod kit. Uh, if you want to print the case yourself, it's 200 if you want just like the whole thing to do it. Um, and yeah, it's a really easy modification to do also, which is nice. Yeah, because when you said the board, I thought you meant you were also buying the actual Game Boy Advance motherboard. And I was like, oh, they have right. those? Gotcha. Yeah, you do need to supply a Game Boy Advance also. Okay, um, so that is, what did you say, 200 bucks total investment? I think you will save money that way if you don't care about analog video out because the alternative would be the Eon Mark II HD, or GCHD Mark II, which I want to say I spent $300 for because yeah. I, I was like, you know what? 300 bucks for plug-and-play RGB. Also, the coolest thing about that thing, in my opinion, excuse me, coolest thing about that thing, in my opinion, is the fact that it actually does dual output. If I wanted to, I could have a CRT and HDMI to an HD TV uh, dual output. No lag. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah. That that does sound really good. Um, yeah, it, right. As far as comparing the prices go also, I mean, Game Boy players aren't very cheap anymore either. Uh, so, yeah, for all those reasons, um, it's, it's definitely competitive. And I, uh, I would say, though, you can get a good discount on that Game Boy player. If you omit the disc, if you don't care about the disc and plan to use the better Game Boy interface software, all you need to do is buy an action replay and then get that software on there with a memory card and you're good to go. You don't need to just just be like, hey, this is worthless without the disc and then, you know, ask for like 20 bucks for the hardware. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, it is nice that they're letting you print the case yourself now because that was actually something that they weren't doing before uh, and people were upset about online that like you could only buy the 3d printed cases from them they weren't giving out the the g code or whatever or the stencil file or whatever for, for uh for the case now they are so so that's nice were they doing um, that whole thing where they kind of just like you know they sell it personally only through them for a little while until they recoup their costs and then they open source it. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. I don't think it's planned to be open sourced as far as like the the mod board itself. 
Um, you know, I don't know, but I'm not sure. And that's the thing, like, people kind of complain about that, too, from what I've seen. People say, like, oh, why isn't this open source and stuff? And it's like, I don't know, man. It takes it takes a lot of skill uh, in order to make that kind of stuff. Like, I, I think that open source stuff is really great. It's a pretty crazy thing to live at a time where people with those kinds of skill sets and stuff are making open source projects that are free for everyone to <laughs> make and contribute to. That's really cool. I really like using open source stuff when I can. Uh, but if someone does make something like the consoleizer or like the, the retro tank, uh, and it's not open source, I'm not gonna bitch about it because, you know, I don't know. I, it's up to them. And, uh, if someone does want to completely own a project that they did everything themselves, um, you know, they deserve some compensation. I'm in the same boat. I, I, I want to buy, and I honestly, I'm, I'm fine with people open, open sourcing, and I think it's really cool, but like, I think there's a nice effect that happens when you immediately, you know, throw something out there to be improved upon or shared or yada yada, because like, think about the OSSC, it stands for op Open Source Scan Converter. Uh, I want... An OSSC, I can pay like 40 bucks on, uh, God, what is it, Alibaba.com or something like that and get like a knockoff one because it's open source. It technically can't be a knockoff if it's open source. Uh, or I can go to the original person who created the OSSC who knows how to put it together and all that and just buy from them. I don't mind if it's like 100 bucks more, you know? They put the work in. They put this together. They're the ones who's going to support the product, you know? Take my money. <laughs> For sure. Um, so yeah. Uh the the I, I am really glad though that they are letting people print their cases this time though, because that's a huge convenience. Because I, I think the on the original run, that might have been one of the main things that was like holding stock back and making them take forever to ship, uh, was the fact that they had to get these three D prints in, you know. Um I would much rather order a kit and then 3d print my own case in the meantime you know uh so yeah i'm glad they're doing that those are finally back that's cool so exciting stuff in the modern retro gaming community scene going on there what game do you want to talk about uh so i started playing a game series called soccer wars this is uh <laughs> to to explain to you why I actually have been really enjoying this uh, would would kind of give it away why I love it. So I, I guess I'll just go right into it. Uh, yeah, no, not Soccer Horrors, Sakura Wars. So um, it's a game where basically, uh, well, Sakura is a character in the game. Uh, imagine if you were to make a visual novel romance game not necessarily a harem game, like not one of those fan service like icky hentai games. Just take a visual novel, kind of romance style visual novel game, make the plot ridiculous. Honestly, you could probably say <laughs> you this you could probably say this belongs in the Shin Megami Tensei universe. Almost. The plot of the game is actually so you play this character, you're the you're the you're the character the, the protagonist is your is your name for now um and you used 
to be in the Imperial Japanese Navy. This is an alternative history, alternative, alternate history, Imperial Japanese Navy. Your particular part of the Navy is tasked with fighting demons at sea. So you, uh, you have some history going on with the Navy, but you're not with that portion anymore. So you get a transfer, I believe, because your character was unhappy about that. <laughs> I don't know why you'd be unhappy about fighting demons at sea, but he wanted to transfer. He gets transferred to this new division that is still tasked with the defense of Japan from demons, still. Um, but the actual military unit he's assigned to also happens to be a theater troupe. Like, not necessarily like a kabuki theater troupe, but like a Japanese, like, they make plays. This is a military operation. They make plays and also pilot mech suits to defend Japan from demons. Okay, cool. And this is I'm a with visual, you so far. <laughs> this is a visual novel game with action RPG, uh, action JRPG elements. So there are, you know, times where, and honestly, I think I was like three or four hours into the game before you even got close to, to, to combat. But I was having a great time the whole time because of how ridiculous the fucking plot is. And then you're just walking around talking to different people and understanding what's going on. You find out that maybe the reason that you were assigned to this particular military unit in the Navy is because their plays kind of suck. You're here to help their plays get better. <laughs> okay, so it's not a fighting game then. Oh, no, no, not a fighting so, game at all. So what is the combat like? The combat is... Are you familiar with Dynasty Warriors? Yes, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, come on. Dynasty Warriors is great. <laughs> Take Dynasty Warriors and uh, make that, like... Imagine Ghost in the Shell. The anime, if you know what that is. You, you have yeah. this little mech suit. The, the mechs are pretty similar to the Ghost in the Shell kind of mechs. Um, you have different abilities with different mechs. Certain people are different. Like It's it's like almost like Gundam, where like, <laughs> like a, a mech will look a certain way to fit the personality of that kind of person. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's like this big shot team. Like Team Shanghai is in town. They're from China. They're here to actually help us because they were tasked with making our plays a little bit better so we can, you know, defend Japan better from demons. Uh, I'm probably butchering the plot, by the way. I'm sorry for any Sako Wars fans. It's actually really fucking good. That's the most surprising thing. Nothing about the game in particular is done insanely well, but every piece of the pie here is delicious. Okay. You know what I mean? It just all adds together to make an experience. Gotcha. So, well, you mentioned Dynasty War, that, that the combat is similar to Dynasty Warriors. Is that it? It's just like Dynasty Warriors, or what, what's different about it? It's like Dynasty Warriors in that you'll run up to a group of mechs and, uh, you know, do a special... Actually, I would, I would liken the combat to, like, a little bit of God of War. God of War okay. combat controls. That with, sounds uh, better. <laughs> with Dynasty Warriors mechanics. Uh, so you'll have square, triangle, and circle. They'll all do different things. Um, they, I mean, the, there's really not that much to talk about the combat. Like, if you watch the combat, 
if I did flashier attacks, you'd be like, oh, this looks pretty cool. But, you know, you could just go through and square, square, square it all and be boring and still probably come out on top if you really knew how to dodge attacks well. Okay. Um, and then there's mechanics where, like, if you dodge at the perfect time, you get, like, a a dash, like a slow-mo move where you get around the opponent and start getting backstab damage, all that sort of thing. Oh, like uh, Bayonetta with the witch time mechanic. I have actually heard, I think someone in my chat said, is this Bayonetta except with mechs? And I was like, I guess. I've never played yeah, Bayonetta. Yeah. I think, I, uh, well, also like No More Heroes has a similar mechanic. Breath of the Wild actually has a mechanic like that. You're talking about like, yeah, if you dodge roll at just the right time, then it's like, then it's like a cool move where now you're behind them and it's in slow motion and you kick the shit out of them. It's got a very like Souls-esque uh, avoidance mechanic, I would say, because you use the L and R1 buttons. Um, okay. And I say that without having any Souls experience. I say mm. that from someone in my chat who said, oh, it's very Dark Souls combat-esque. Of course, well, Kappa, because everything is Dark Souls now. Right. If someone sees a dodge roll in a game, they think that it's Dark Souls. <laughs> exactly. Um. But yeah, so okay, so like, so so take me through an engagement. Let's say combat is starting. What's your goal? Your goal is uh, there's five of these uh, five of these little weak mobs. You go through, you kill them. You learn what special attacks go to do what, how you can string together certain combos. You can get an aerial attack, launch them up in the air, much like God of War. Mm -hmm. You launch them up in the air, you jump up, and then you start doing your attacks up there, and you slowly fall down while you're attacking. Has that. Um, your goal, eliminate those mobs. And then something happens. <gasps> Small little cutscene. Oh, no. This mob is here. They aren't supposed to be here. That's weird. And then you attack them. You have this little mini boss encounter. And then, like, oh, shit. What's going on? Here's some plot device element happening. Uh, now the, the guy from the other team, Team Shanghai, comes in. He wants to swing his nuts around because he came here to save an operation that's clearly not in need of saving. So all of a sudden, he's doing this now. Now he's attacking your potential love interest. He said, fuck you. You're not going on to advance in the tournament or whatever. Uh, again, butchering the plot. I can't remember. There's, there's some overarching like thing going on to compete. Um, I won't spoil it too much because, honestly... I want people to buy this game. It's good, and apparently it didn't sell too well. Okay. A little, little sad about that. So, yeah, the way you're describing it, at least to me, it sounds a little bit more like Bayonetta or Devil May Cry as far as the combat goes. Probably. Um, but then, okay, and then, and then in between those combat sections, though, it's a visual novel. Yeah, except for there being 3D exploration, um, I would say, you know, you can kind of tell that it's not the main focus of the game, obviously. It's kind of like playing a JRPG. The graphics and the environments that you explore and the NPCs that you find and talk to, the environments, I would say, are probably graphically on par with, like, probably the best a PS2 could do. Maybe, like, a generic PS3 game. Or generic mm -hmm. PS3, like, JRPG. Mm -hmm. But in, in there, there are visual novel elements with the main characters that you have recurring. Okay. So, like, w the cutscenes, is there, like, a scene where the characters are 3D models and you they can are, see them? and they're actually modeled oh. insanely well. They're not okay. just 2D anime characters. They're 3D, pretty much as best as you can imagine 3D anime characters to be. That's very important. This doesn't really sound like a visual novel. 
It's a visual novel with element, like, with just action elements to it, and really good work put into it. Well, like if the cutscenes have like the characters three D modeled and walking around, and then when they talk, a speech bubble comes up. That's not a visual novel. Visual novels is are like are like the background is just like a CG drawing of a room or a city street, and then two hand drawn unmoving anime portraits are standing on either side of the screen and it's just all text boxes all the way down i will say that it was introduced to me as kind of like a visual novel because and the reason i agree with it is just because like a visual novel game there are just so many long stints of just reading that you're doing um mm -hmm. not, not so much exploration from scene to scene but just dialogue that's just normal RPG stuff, though. I mean, this just sounds like an RPG to me. That's it very got, well could be, and maybe that's, that's why I like it combat. so much. Yeah, yeah. I, mean, I think it may just be that I like it so much because I thought of it as a visual novel, and really it's just kind of like a quote-unquote subpar JRPG. I don't know. It, it's I, I would say it's worth it, though, just for exploring the story and the different types of characters. Like, all the girls that you could potentially... I, I assume interact with and, and like romance later. All of them actually have somewhat interesting personalities. Um, they're not so cut and dry as something like Doki Doki Literature Club, which I don't know if you've seen that, but the three characters being, uh, well, there's four characters, but there's Monica, Sayuri, uh, Natsuki, and uh, Yuri. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yuri being my favorite, the one with the purple hair. Anyway, mm -hmm. they're all like typically different, entirely different people. Um, Whereas, yeah. like, these are kind of just, like, girls who got together because they like theater and also defending Japan with giant mech suits. Yeah. It's funny to bring up Doki Doki as, as the, the game that has, like, the very distinct characters, though, just because, no spoilers, but that's, like, a huge aspect of the entire point of that game is, like, is the, uh, the watering down of, of characters into, like, pigeonholed character traits to make them cute you know um yep. that, that yeah that's like what a lot of doki doki literature club is commentary on uh but yeah uh yeah i know what you mean though so so characters have um good depth to them you're saying i like that yeah i, I mean so. I, it sounds cool it sounds like a pretty cool game i gotta you know you, you started out like it's a visual novel with dynasty characters combat and i'm like oh boy that sounds awful it's um, not a fighting game i think you also thought it was a fighting game at first i did also assume it was a fighting game i think i had it mixed up with the game uh arcana heart for for some reason i don't, I don't know why it's just i i just had the, that in my head for some reason but um, yeah it's um it's a game where like if you wanted english voice acting then you're not going to buy the game because it just doesn't exist. As far as I know, I haven't seen any option to turn it on. But if you want a game with good, actually, like, there's a lot of shit that will get lost in translation between Japanese to English because, A, in English, well, actually in a lot of languages, sarcasm is, like, super specific to, like, to Western English. Um, sarcasm is pretty lost on a lot of people. But, like, there are things in Japanese that will like situationally just not translate well and sound like a joke that doesn't have a punchline or something like that. Not so in this game. This game actually has dialogue that looks like it was went over 
by native English speakers and people who also know how to edit stories and go, yes, that makes sense. That's entertaining. We're going to say that. That sounds fine. That works with what's originally said. Fucking send it. <laughs> and it works really well. They're actually very entertaining scenes. Some parts are pretty funny. Yeah, it's really important to have, um, right, to, to, to have the localization team be it's 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 a it's funny because it's a fine line because it's like you know how much do you want the localization team to be able to change things before it's no longer the original script you know but like they have to a little bit because you have to localize it you know uh so yeah that it's it's good to hear that that like details like that are uh are important yeah i i i definitely dig it um you have been playing a bunch of Resident Evil 4, haven't you? I've been playing a bunch of Resident Evil in general. In was general. I, I, yeah. Well, by that I mean I finished Code Veronica, but I think we, I already talked about that, right? Yeah, you talked about Code, Code Veronica, but I thought you started 4. How is 4 going so far? Well, 4 I, is a game that I've played before many times. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, like, so Code Veronica, I would like to mention, is like, at this point, now that I've finished it, my kind of ending thoughts on it are that it might be like the best classic Resident Evil game. As far as the classic ones, you know, with the tank controls and the, and the door cutscenes and the wacky stories and all that. Um, Code Veronica really impressed me, and I, I ended up enjoying it maybe more than any other one, just because the gameplay is really good, like always, and then I love the GameCube graphics and the fact that it's not pre-rendered anymore, so now the camera actually, like, moves in a certain way around the rooms, uh, which is really cool, uh, and they're able to do some fun stuff with the with the camera angles and stuff that way. Um, so yeah, just like overall really great. And then, like I was saying, the cutscenes are just the silliest, wackiest, dumbest, funniest shit. Uh, and I, I think that's why I like this one so much is, um, is because, so my other favorite Resident Evil game is the first one for PS1. Really? Oh, okay. Yeah. Original then. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and I've realized that the, the connecting thing between Code Veronica and that very first one is the, the campiness is dialed so much higher up. Like, the first Resident Evil feels a lot like they were going for the campy B-movie aspect, you know what I mean? They wanted the characters to be acting, like, the voice acting to be bad and, like, things to be awkwardly paced and stuff. Like, it kind of seems like it's intentional because it's like a old, bad 80s horror movie, you know? Did, did you ever have, um, this is going to sound off topic, but did you ever have, like, a theme park or anything near you? You're in Michigan, right? So you have... I'm in... I'm in Minnesota, but Damn we have. It, sorry, yeah. yeah. Oh no, we we have a theme park called Valley Fair. Yeah. So I was gonna say, have you ever had a theme park near you that had not necessarily like a roller coaster, but like it was a movie theater with motorized chairs, and you'd have 3D glasses that you'd wear? I've heard of those, but I've never I've never been in one. So we had one at a place called King's Dominion here. It's owned by Paramount, or it was owned by Paramount for a long time. Um. The, the for like a decade straight, I feel like they had one uh, NASCAR experience 
and it was called Days of Thunder. And so, you know, you'd just, you'd sit in this chair, it would rock you around as if you were in, like, the seat of, an, like, a NASCAR racing car. Um, you'd have your, you'd watch the screen, you'd see, like, oh, you get the first-person perspective, driving view, whatever. Then it was, like, a SpongeBob game. And then... <laughs> Then, then they would like move the chairs and just way like you like those things could move way more than you thought they would. They'd move you way more like further back over. You'd feel like you'd almost like to fall out of the seat at, at certain times. That's why they have seatbelts. Um, it looks like from what I saw when I was watching you play Resident Evil, it looks like it'd be one of those things, one of those games that would go into an experience like that where it's meant to be arcadey. Where you're kind of going through it, where the cutscenes at least are almost like a movie, and it's meant to be just the most campy, like unbelievable action scene. This is what's said in a C rank movie or some shit like <laughs> 10, 20 years ago in the 80s. We're going to have dialogue like that and action scenes like this because what do you got to do to make a video game that's crazy action like that? You know, like an on rails shooter, like there's a Jurassic Park Jeep game. It's kind of like that, you know? It's an actual shooting game where you aim and, you know, shoot dinosaurs away from your Jeep that's being driven away. Uh, classic scene where you're going to have shit that you wouldn't expect an actual velociraptor to do or for human human beings to say certain dialogue. It's like, obviously, this is completely unbelievable, but I'm having a great time. It seems yeah. like that's the actual Resident Evil horror experience. Yeah, like, the first one is so campy and, uh, and funny, um, and, and so, but then, like, with RE2, though, it still got a little bit of that to it, but they definitely went more serious with it, uh, and then 3, they kinda kept it the tone of 2, but, uh, but the game was, like, a little bit more action-oriented, and then Code Veronica was like back to the campy levels of one. And I think, and being someone who really loved one, I think that's why Code Veronica now like speaks to me so much as being like, oh my gosh, this this one is just as good. Uh, was, so yeah. was four is campy? So four is super serious. Okay. Uh, well, no, hang on. Let me think about it for a second. Four starts out really serious but no, it's campy as shit. Uh, like, with the... It, it's it's more of like... Um, okay, so here's the deal with Resident Evil 4. Is that they made a lot of these classic-style Resident Evil games. The only one I haven't played yet is Zero. Uh, but yeah, the classic style of, like, tank controls and its horror and all that. Um, 4 was when they... Uh, like, if, if it came out now, people would say it's a reboot, uh, but it's not. It was just, hey, it was time for them to make a totally different game. So, Resident Evil 4 is a over-the-shoulder third-person shooter, uh, but it's still, it's not like an all-out action game, but there's a lot of action. Uh, it still has tank controls, but now it's, like, over-the-shoulder tank controls. And back then, this was super revolutionary, you know? Like, 
the idea of an over-the-shoulder camera angle while your character's holding a gun and you're, like, lining the laser up on the enemy and shooting them in their different body parts. And if you shoot a guy in the face, he goes, ah, and he grabs his face. If you shoot him in the arm, he'll drop the weapon he's holding and hold his arm, you know? This shit was revo-fucking-lutionary back when it came out. Even the camera angle. Not, like, Gears of War didn't exist yet, you know? The only, like... I'm sure there were a couple more, but the only game I can think of prior to RE4 that had over-the-shoulder uh, third-person shooting was Conker's Bad Fur Day. Uh, <laughs> and that's a, it's a much different game. Um, so yeah, it was like totally new the way that this game was done. And it's, it's really cool when you're playing it. You know, you're running around uh, kind of still like with old Resident Evil where, where you're um, like searching for ammo and herbs and stuff wherever you can find them uh but when a guy attacks you um the so the kind of the um the big differences are that the combat is much more action oriented where you can like shoot a guy in the face and then as he's like holding his face you can run up to him and kick him onto the ground you know and do that but it is still like the old ones in that once you do that, now it's time to go pull out the knife and knife him while he's on the ground <laughs> to save ammo and that kind of thing. Uh, but yeah, I'm ammo. the the big difference though is, is that f um, first of all, you fight a lot more enemies at once in RE4. Like you fight like you'll you'll fight like twenty dudes at once are are gonna be running after you and stuff, and they're not zombies technically in this one they're people who are like under control so they use weapons you know they'll throw shit at you they'll have like pitchforks and stuff they're a lot faster you know um they you know so so they're they're just a lot more mobile and a lot more threatening uh than like slow walking zombies generally are you know uh the other big big difference with re4 is is generally all, uh, a lot more linear. Like, RE1 is in a mansion, and you're running back and forth in the mansion the whole time. Like, now I've got this thing that works over there, and oh, over there I get the thing that works over here, you know? The story is that you're like a police investigator, right? In 2, you are Leon, who is uh, a police guy, um, and... But in 4, you play as Leon, but he's not a police officer anymore... Uh, but you are there, like, I don't know who he works for, actually, which is kind of funny. He's he's on a mission to save the president's daughter. So oh. who, whoever uh, whoever is responsible for that is who he works for, I guess. Um, but here here's the broad stroke, because everyone... You, I'm sorry, Knox, you're the only person in the world who hasn't <laughs> played Resident Evil 4. Pretty much. Um, so let's just get on to, like, the broad strokes here. Um... The the thing is with RE4 is that they they had to do something different, right? Because they had already made six games that were very similar to each other as far as like the way that they played. And now we're on the GameCube. It's time to like advance the series, right? And they did so in a spectacular way. Resident Evil 4 is one of the best games ever made on its own like it's so awesome it's just super fun every room that you walk into is great it's a it's got just really timeless gameplay where it's a game that like like it, 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 we mentioned before like i mentioned oh no this is one that i've played before right 
to actually word that properly, um, Resident Evil 4, besides games like Super Mario Bros. that you can beat in like 20 minutes, uh, Resident Evil 4 is the game that I have played through the most times, probably. Really? Like, yeah, I, I, I've played this game many, many times. Um, however, it simultaneously killed Resident Evil. Uh, <laughs> because, like, it's, it, it's one of the best games ever. It's so good. It's so fun. But the direction that it took the series ultimately led to Resident Evil 5, which is a garbage shit video game. And then even further, it led to Resident Evil 6, which is a garbager shitter game. Damn. Uh... And then, and then seven is different. Okay, I haven't played seven or beyond that. Seven, um, I've watched seven, and seven is terrifying to watch. Very scary. I love it. I I do want to play seven. See that so with seven, they did the same thing that they did with four, which was like, all right, now we've been doing the over the shoulder shooter thing, and with Resident Evil four, we revolutionized the entire AAA video gaming scene to where now the over-the-shoulder third-person shooter is, like, the standard video game now. So now with RE7, let's change everything again. Also, it was probably partly inspired by the success of PT, which then turned into nothing, so the market there was wide open for oh, a right, first-person yeah. scary horror game. Exactly. Uh, yeah, so... Well, there was amnesia, but yeah, go on. Um, well, that's the thing. Yeah, there was Amnesia, there was Outlast, and then there's countless, there's countless uh, uh, imitators of Amnesia on Steam, right? Um, but as far as, like, the AAA scene goes, uh, RE7 was like, there's this wide-open market for that type of game yeah. um, made, you know, big budget. So yeah, so that's where they went with the Resident Evil after that. I haven't played that one yet. I plan to. I want to do it in VR. When I get a VR headset, that's oh. when I'm going to do RE7. Dude, um, I, there's there's things with VR. Man, we should probably talk about VR one day. Uh, there's things with VR where it's like Skyrim and VR. So it's like you think, oh, sweet, Skyrim. But in VR, they've been porting that shit to everything else. And then you see Skyrim in VR, and it's this bullshit where you just, like, look at a circle 10 feet away from you to move over there like I'm playing a point-and-click adventure. What is this shit? Yeah. Yeah, I really want to get into some VR stuff because, I mean, it makes sense. If you're playing a game like Skyrim, you can't just literally walk, right? Because you're working with a six-by-six-foot area, you know what I mean? Um, so how are they going to handle that, right? Some games do it where, like, it's like you point at the spot that you want to be and click on it, and then you warp there. Yeah. I'm not into that, right? Batman Arkham Asylum did that, which, by the way, for is a VR game. Batman Arkham Asylum VR or whatever. Fantastic game, but it only worked it because it did this, this like, after the after the fact, you're kind of like this uh, forensic investigator kind of person where, you know, a normal Batman scene that's full of action just wouldn't work because the technology wouldn't allow it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You gotta work around that limitation. 
so um yeah um I, I i'm interested to see like where how certain games handle it you know because if i can just have a stick if i can just have normal mouse and keyboard controls but i'm wearing a vr headset so now i can look around with my neck you know i think that that seems fine uh, but I don't know, you know, maybe that would be terrible. Maybe that would kind of ruin, because the idea with VR is that if you hear something behind you, you want to turn your body around, you know? And yeah, if you and do mouse I and keyboard, this, you don't get that. Yeah, the reason I said this, uh, about the teleporting thing in VR was because I don't think Resident Evil 7 VR did that. I think you actually just walked around and explored like normal. Yeah. Which makes it ten times more terrifying. Yeah, I, I guess what, pro yeah, you wouldn't do mouse and keyboard. What you would probably do is that you're, you're and th this is me just, I've never, I've never played a game like this before, so we'll, we'll, we'll see how it turns out. But like, um, you know, your left hand has an analog stick, right? So maybe if that controls your movement while you physically turn your body around, maybe that's fine. Yeah. Who knows? I think the DualShock, uh, you, you move with the DualShock and you look around with the VR headset. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so that's later Resident Evil. Uh, we'll get into those at some point, but, uh, but yeah, basically RE4 is a, is a weird game because it itself is like one of the best games ever. It's amazing. You should play it. Uh, but it also ruined, uh, it, it, it well, it, it put Resident Evil down a bad path for a while and also put, like, video games down a bad path for a while, you <laughs> I know? was going to say, did it, did it pave the way for Telltale games uh, to make, like, you know, The Walking Dead and such? And I'm not mm -hmm. shitting on Telltale because I actually love some of their games. I don't think it has anything to do with what Telltale was doing. No, I think okay. it, 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 it was, like, why... If you think of, like, a basic... Bo like, let's say you've, you've got... Here's a PS3 game. I've never heard of it. It's pretty reasonable to, ex uh, to assume that, it, oh, you throw it in and it's going to be some boring, generic, over-the-shoulder, third-person shooter, you know? Probably. Um, yeah. with, with a very brown color palette... Well, uh, another and, huge contri contributor to that would be Mass Effect, right? Mass Effect and Uncharted and, and Last of Us. Like, well, that, that's what I'm saying. Those games are all, like, I, I feel like those games are all derivative of RE4, ultimately. Because RE4, and then there was, like, Gears of War, right? And that was the, yep. that was the other real big one. Now it's, like... After Gears of War, everything has to be cover-based. Now it's got to be a cover-based over-the-shoulder third-person shooter. And that, I think, is what led to Uncharted, you know. Uh, and and Uncharted obviously led to The Last of Us because it's made by the same people. But, um, but yeah, so anyway, that's that. As far as RE4 itself, though, um, I mentioned the campiness. I want to... So the, the, the thing about that one getting silly is that, like... What that one's got is the, like, dumb 90s movie one-liners kind of thing where uh, Leon, the main character, is, like, uh, he's got, he's always got, like, the smart-ass remarks. And they're not even well-written a lot of the time. It's just, <laughs> like, like, uh, he'll just say to, like, the bad guy, you know, the bad guy says his whole thing, Oh, you will never escape here alive, you know, whatever it is that they're saying. And the bad guys are, are really ridiculous also. Um, uh, but he'll just say, like, Well, I don't care. Rain or shine, you're going down. You know, and it's just, it's so stupid. It's, it's just great. Um, 
Yeah, there's like a there's like a part where someone says uh something about like it should keep you entertained, right? Oh yeah. It's like the bad guy is saying, like, oh, you're going to meet it soon. It shall keep you entertained. And Liana's like, well, that's good, cause boredom kills me or something like you know <laughs> like the the like almost wants to be duke nukem like well what it's got going for it is that the voice acting itself is way better than the series has done before you know what i mean like the the series has generally part of the campiness has always been like the really bad voice acting RE4 at least has really good voice acting, but the actual writing itself is still really campy and silly. And so, it's just super funny a lot of the time as you're playing it during the cutscenes, but then the action is just so good. Uh, and like the other Resident Evil games, one thing that I haven't really said about the series yet is that... Um, as far as the horror aspects of it go, it has moments of genius. Like, when they want to do horror, they do horror, and it's good. Like, uh, let me give you a specific example. There is this one part in Resident Evil 2, alright? So this is back to the ones that have fixed camera angles, where the camera angles are stationary, and as you run around a room, it changes the camera angles to see fit, right? So, there is one particular part where uh, you are, are walking down a, a little hallway at the end of a room uh, that has a window at the end of it that sees outside. Uh, you're in the police station in Resident Evil 2. There's a window to the outside, and to the right of it is a door that you want to go into. So you're walking down this hallway uh, to get to the door, and once you're like six feet away from the window, something that you've not seen before just crawls past it silently. There's no sound or anything. There's no sound cue or anything. No dumb bullshit. It's just perfectly silent. There's just a thing. You see its belly. Cause the it's noise like, it would make if it was in its, you know, quiet environment hiding. Like, so it, it you see, like, its belly, and it's, like, human-sized, and it, on all fours, so sticking to the wall, it seems, just crawls past the outside of the window with no sound, right? And it's like, oh, shit, I have to walk up to this window to get into this door. That's creepy, right? So you do it. You walk up. And you go through the door, and nothing happens, you know? And then it plays the little suspenseful door-opening cutscene that it does in Resident Evil. And then, this is my <laughs> favorite part. every Resident Evil, by the way? All the classic ones, yeah. Okay, yeah. So then, uh, my favorite thing is that once, you, once it loads you into the next room, right? Door-opening cutscene, boom, now you're in the next room. The camera angle that it shows of you is uh so you're next to another window because on this side of the door there's also a window next to it right and the camera angle that it is giving you is looking into the window at you like the the camera shot that they've given you is just placed outside looking at your character into the window and then when you move then the camera changes to wherever the next one is and that camera shot is never used again it's huh. for that one moment where you are worried that there is something out the window because you just saw it, 
and then in the neck and then the next camera shot that you get is looking from outside at you through the window like to put it in your head that something is watching you out there you know and 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 they never use the cu- the camera angle again and it's like oh it's it's genius when I they make a note on that actually i was going to say one thing the game i was playing soccer wars does really well is animation of the characters yes but like half of that battle is just how fucking good the camera work is it takes a genius to know how to film a scene it takes an even stronger genius to know how to make a video game and still film the scene as if it was like a real life interaction putting it like outside where you're saying it makes it seem like okay something is definitely watching you never doing it again makes it so okay well that's not going to happen after we encounter this person right is he a boss that you encountered uh you do meet this thing very soon after yeah okay um, cool. but yeah, uh, and, and one thing in general, like on that note too, is, is just that like when, when these old games have these fixed camera angles, a lot of like the shots are really cool. You know, they've got like Dutch angles at good spots, you know, they've got a lot of shots that are just like well composed in like, um, in like a, a good horror movie that's got the camera placed in like creepy spots, you know, they do a good job of, of doing that. A lot of the camera work in those old games does that horror really well. And my my whole point, though, is that when they want to do horror, they do it really well in Resident Evil. Well, even Resident though Evil it's... started off that way, right? Like, they started off making it so, like, the, t- the whole idea of putting tank controls for your character in started off as making it seem like, okay, this is the character you're playing, except he's over here in this hallway walking forward while you have this nightmarish static camera view of a 2d pre-rendered background you just see what you think you'd see if you see if you're if everyone knows the classic nightmare imagery of you watching yourself walking down a hallway and maybe it does like spooky effects like the the door will go further away while the textures of the wall get closer into you you know stuff like that Good camera work can make something seem ominous enough on its own. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think that that's something that doesn't go said very often about classic Resident Evil. I, I think uh, like a lot of people don't like the fixed camera angles and they don't like the tank controls, right? To the point where like it's something that gets made fun of a lot, right? So I think it's important to note that like the camera angles themselves are like really well crafted and uh, and add to the horror a lot. We can actually boil this down a little bit even more. Um, I want to say it was Aaron Hansen from Game Grumps who made a game or made a video game a long time ago about it was something about like why Castlevania is the best game ever and just show and it shows you how like the from the very start of the game you notice that your character has a movement speed limitation. They have to commit to jumps. They have to be like pixel perfect on the edges of where things are it makes it seem like you're not this superman like esque character you're not mario where as long as you have a mushroom you'll be invincible no matter what as long as you don't fall um your movements have uh meaning everything is a meaning that you do and you have a weapon that has it's not a gun that you just pull out and shoot it has uh it has startup frames it has something you have to take into account it puts you in this whole situation of not being able to control a character like you normally would, so you're 
instant like reflexes are to be in fight or flight mode. Like, am, is something about to happen? Why can't I move normally? Why is this wrong? Something is wrong here. And if a game can do that without breaking the gameplay and making it boring or maybe like really glitchy and not tested well, then it can put you in a sense of of of, of impending doom pretty well, I find. Yeah, like the way that Castlevania has like the committed jump arcs, and yeah, I'm glad you mentioned like the startup time on the whip and that kind of stuff. It, it yeah. makes it so that everything is like, uh, you have to plan ahead in that game. You know, it's not pure reaction to everything. Instead, it's like you you plan shit out a half a second in advance the entire time. You know. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I I think that's a good point though. The idea that like the character controls. A little weirder uh, than than other games um, makes you feel more vulnerable. Probably uh, that's vulnerable a big for thing. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Like that's one thing I talk about a lot is how like Bloodborne is a scary game, right? And it's not just because it deals with like horror themes. Um, you know, it's scary because, because you feel fragile. Yes, because like in in Resident Evil and stuff, all, uh, people talk about how like or in Silent Hill, the way that like the controls are really clunky, uh, kind of adds to the horror a little bit because it makes combat feel more frantic and like you would be if if you were attacked by a zombie and all you have is a board with a nail in it, you know, <laughs> it's gonna it's gonna be like a sluggish mess your fight with this thing, you know, and so those clunky controls make it feel that way and it, and it adds to the immersion a little bit. Um, Bloodborne though is a game where your guy is like a super ninja man who like has really sweet moves and is a master of using all these different weapons and like and dodging and and is super dexterous, right? So how can the game be scary? Well, it's because even with all that, like every enemy is a threat, you know. And so a lot of the time, it's amazing in Bloodborne, the way where it's like, when you know what you're doing and you stay calm, uh, you can just, you can dodge roll every attack, and, you know, you can take every counter opportunity, you can beat the whole game without getting hit, you know? Same thing but, as Castlevania, you walk down a, a hallway of Medusa heads floating to you, you calm down, you take one step forward, and then you just walk the whole way and you never get hit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but when, but like when you're questioning yourself, you know, especially the first time you see it and you're not like sure exactly how the enemy is going to behave and it puts you into this like rigid stance of like being really defensive and kind of panicking, you know, because you know that like, oh God, if they get a combo off on me, I'm dead, you know? And so, and, and, and just, it's really interesting the way that because it's you're trying to be cautious, it actually makes you play really poorly and yeah, get you killed panic. more. <laughs> yeah, um, it's, and so it's a genius tech uh, or mechanic because like the whole point is to make it seem scary, and 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 the very programming of the game makes it more scarier than it actually is. Yeah, yeah. I I also loved that about uh, Sekiro in a different, a slightly different way. Sekiro. It felt less about, like, the panic and more about, like, discipline, you know? And I think this is where, like, the theme and, and the setting of a game can kind of change your idea of it also. Even though, actually, Sekiro does have some good horror elements of it, too. Uh, but, like, that game, it, 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 I, I loved the way that, like, as a samurai, 
well, you're a shinobi, actually, but still, point is, you're sword fighting dudes, and it feels a lot like you need to learn to be disciplined, you know? Where it's like, if you're, if you're all over the place, you get killed, right? You need to learn to, like... One, one really good example is that when you play a lot of Dark Souls, you might learn to, like, always be trying to circle around enemies all the time, you know, to try to hit them in the sides and stuff. But in Sekiro, there are certain enemies that do, like, a big sweeping attack that you have to jump over uh, in order to avoid it. You can't block it. You can't dodge it. You have to jump over it. You know what I mean? Uh, and... If you are doing the Dark Souls thing, where you're trying to spin around the enemy the entire time, that makes it so that when you jump to dodge that attack, you're going to jump six feet away, and then you have no time to counterattack the enemy, right? But if you are disciplined, and you are just standing there strong and confident, parrying their attacks confidently, and then they go for that sweep attack, because you're not going nutso on the analog stick, you jump straight up in the air, and you can get some hits in on them below you while you're dodging the attack, and it feels so cool. And it's like, yeah, I'm learning discipline, you know? And, and that, smooth, too. It feels, yeah, and it, it feels so, like, immersive in the setting, you know? So, anyway, I love that. Oh, man, where were we? We were talking about... So Resident Evil 4 is a really good game, and Code Veronica was really awesome. There you go. Speaking of Castlevania, though, I would love to talk to you about Super Castlevania 4 and Castlevania Rondo of Blood, but you still have to play those games. I haven't played either one. I've got uh, a lot to say about them. I want to hear what you have to say. I just need to get to them, and it's just going to determine how soon... It's going to be determined by how soon I can beat the Game Boy, the first Game Boy Castlevania. Wait, wait. Oh. The adventure? Yeah. You are, you're you're going to beat it? Oh, I plan to beat it, yeah. I mean, oh. my goal is to beat every one of them. It's All just, right. God damn it, this one sucks so bad to beat. <laughs> Fuck this game. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I've been playing uh, quite a bit of stuff lately, though. So, yeah, the Resident Evil was a big thing. Uh, played through those Castlevanias. Actually, Super Castlevania 4 I played a while ago, and now Rondo of Blood, though, I just played yesterday. You modded you modded a PC Engine duo. I did. Or was it, it was a duo R. Uh, I think it's just a duo. I'm not sure. Let's the look duo, at the box. I think the duo R had a, 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 a twice-disc speed. It does say it has Super CD-ROM squared. So, uh... uh that's true, but that's what the original system is called. That that that's not a duo. R, it's just a normal duo. Okay, there you go. That's what I got. Yeah, I modded it. It was pretty sweet. I had to do the mod a few times because I'm an idiot. Um, How hard was it? It was. Uh, so the only hard part of it is that you have to solder uh, ribbon cable wires to the pins of an IC that are kind of small. Um, yeah. That's the only hard part, right? Like, the actual mod board itself that um, I used, the one that Voltar made, that's super easy because there's just four pins on each, or four pads on each side that are nice and spaced out, you know? Super easy to work with. Uh, and then, basically, how, how the mod works is, first of all, the PC Engine has a, has a five-pin uh, DIN connector, um, which is similar to like what the Sega has uh but less pins right um 
And that's not enough pins to carry an RGB signal plus uh, Why C-Sync. That? Why? You have one, two, three, and then uh, C-Sync. It's, you mm. just need four pins. Uh, but there's also left audio, right audio. That's true. Um, that's true. Stuff like that, yeah. It's not mono audio. I know that. Right. It is stereo audio, and oh boy, it sounds good. So what you have to do is replace that DIN connector with one that has more pins, uh, which is pretty easy because if you desolder the old connector, you pull it right out, and then the uh, mod board that Voltar sells comes with the new one. Now, it mostly fits right back in, but... It replaces the connector, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't need to worry about the conversion to 6-pin. Mm, correct. Well, okay. yeah, yeah. Like, you actually take the connector off and replace it with a new one on Wait, the board. Do you replace it with the mod board, or is the mod board a separate component somewhere else? Separate component somewhere else, yep. Okay. So, so yeah, so the DIN connector comes off, and you put a new one on that's got more pins. Problem with more pins, though, is that that means that it has more legs that need to go into the board, which there are not holes for. So you actually have to clip the legs off of those extra pins so that they don't interfere with the board, you know? Uh, because you are going to take the wires that are coming off of the mod board and just solder them directly to the back of the pins uh, so they don't need to go into the board. You know what I mean? Is it Okay, so the IC that you were soldering your ribbon cable to... Mm-hmm. Is that uh, is that a CPU or uh, what chip is that? It is the sixty two sixty, I think. Which, which is uh, like the uh, it's like the HU sixty two sixty or something. Yeah, which yeah, so I, it's I, proprietary NEC chip for the Turbo Duo. Yeah, it's got the Hudson B on it. It's great. Yeah, the, that's what it is. The Hudson B on it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty sure it's a graphics processing chip. Because what you're grabbing off of it is direct RGB values, as well as the sync signal. Um, so yeah, all the, all the mod is, uh, is there is one particular chip on the board that you need four of the pin. You need to take the signal off of four of the pins of it, um, which is easiest to do with the ribbon cable. Uh, you just solder four wires to four of these pins. Those wires go into a tiny, like, one by, like, one square inch mod board. And then wires come off the mod board onto the back of the DIN connector. And boom, you're done. Uh, very... It looked, it looked pretty simple from what you did. But when I, when I saw Voltar do a video of that mod, I was like, oh, this is involved. <laughs> well, yeah. The only thing that makes it seem involved is, I think, is the changing of the connector. Uh, cause yeah, you got to desolder the old connector. And then like I'm saying the new one, it doesn't fit back on because it's got too many pins. So you have to cut them off, uh, which, you know, it means you have to like disassemble the connector so that you can cut them off at the right spot. You oh, know, really? I thought you just had to snip them like somewhere on the angle, not you have to disassemble it. Uh, so the reason is because the pins, um, they, the, how the connector looks is on the bottom of it, the part that goes flush against the board is like a flat thing of plastic, you know, where there are pins that are going through the plastic and into the board, right? They would just be stabbing the board otherwise because there's no through holes there. Y yeah, yeah, exactly. And if you clipped them flush then they're still making contact with the board, which might over time cut through the solder resist and 
end up going into the board, you know? Oh, so uh, you even take it a step further then. So, but you can't, you can't cut them above the plastic because now they wiggle too much. And if you <laughs> plug something in, you'll push them out, you know? So you got to take that, that plastic plate that's on the bottom that they go through to get to the board. You have to take that off so that you can cut the pins halfway so that when you put the plate back on, now they're still going into the plate, so they're structurally secure, but they're not flush with the bottom or coming through it, so they're not going to touch the board. So no, that's, that's in the board, yeah. Yeah, so that's like the involved part uh, as far as that goes. And then the other involved part is just actually soldering ribbon wires to those pins is a little tricky, you know. It, 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 it takes a delicate touch. I had to do it like three times though, because first I soldered to the wrong pins. Uh, so it just didn't work, you know? So then I did it again and everything was fine, except that I wasn't getting blue. Uh, you know, I, so when I booted it up, I could see that it worked, but there was no blue. Um, so then I, using a multimeter, found out that the ribbon cable I used had a break somewhere in it. It was you, like were, the... you weren't getting, is, is it five volts that you would say you weren't seeing five volts across your blue? Well, there was just no blue at all. Uh, so, like, what was white was magenta, right? Because it mm -hmm. was just, uh, er, wait. <laughs> that means I wasn't getting green. Yeah. Yeah, okay, so I wasn't getting green. Oh, no. Uh, because, yeah, things that were supposed to be white were magenta. Um... And uh, so, so, but so I used a multimeter. I found out, oh, my ribbon cable just is shit. It doesn't work. Uh, so then I had to, so the second try, I had to then desolder the whole thing, get a new length of wire out, and do that. So then the third time that I got it on, then it booted right up and everything was fine. Uh, so yeah, I got RGB out of the PC engine now, and uh, it looks great, sounds great. Castlevania Rondo of Blood was great, and I'd like to talk about it at some point. I'm only yeah. going to mention it now because of the specific kind of podcast that we run. I got a bone to pick with you. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. Uh, weird, Just a weird pet peeve. I don't know. Like, it shouldn't bother me, but it does. Okay. And I'm not, not going to ask you to stop because I understand why you say it. Oh, are you going to say that I put real hardware in my stream nope. title? Oh, nope. okay. Oh, no. <laughs> no, not that at all. I was going to say, you call your PC Engine duo a PC Engine. Oh, yeah? That's like if I were to say, in my opinion, that's like if I were to say, um, yeah, come over to my house later. We'll play some Nintendo. What are we going to mm -hmm. play, Dash? What are we going to play? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Super you know Nintendo, I mean? maybe? Not that, or... it's, it, it's not that extreme an example, because how many PC engines were there compared to how many Nintendos were there, you know? Well, the there's... PC, but PC Engine is a system which can only run cue card software. Yeah. The, the only reason it can play CDs is because of its CD-ROM attachment or mm -hmm. the console they released later called the PC Engine Duo. And then people were like, eh, loading screens are, loading times are too long. How about the Duo R? The Duo R, I want to say, well, all PC Engine stuff was Japan only, but Duo R, I think, was exclusive to Japan, where we got their Turbo Duo. We got the TurboGrafx-16, and we got the Turbo Duo. Mm -hmm. So, like, Turbo Duo, Q-Card only. It's, it's, it's the same thing. Same console, different plastic enclosure. 
Um, yeah, I was yeah. gonna argue with you, but nah. When I play like an FDS game, like yeah, Mario exactly, Two, yeah. I say FDS. I don't say Famicom. But uh, you know, if if we were gonna play some like what's that game called, Sonic 3D Blast or whatever, you're telling me that you wouldn't say that that's a Genesis game. It's a Sega CD game. That might not even <sighs> be a Sega CD game. I, I want to argue with you so bad, but I've, uh, I've never had the fortune of being able to own a Sega CD. I have a Sega uh, Genesis right here. I've never owned a 32X. I've never owned a Nomad. I've never owned a Saturn until now. Never owned a Dreamcast till now. Uh, Genesis was my only Sega ever. And it made me a Sega fan because I was a huge... I, I fucking love the Genesis. But I didn't get to play with the CD stuff. So Sonic 3D Blast... Tell me how that game worked. Did it? I know it used the CD, but did it require the CD? Or was it one of those games where it's just like, we get audio off the CD because it sounds better, but it's really just a Genesis game? Is it one of those? I'm not sure. My brother played it at one point, but I didn't. Uh, I, I remember it being isometric. Uh, and it Oh! Oh wait a minute! Wait wait wait! Sonic 3D Blast. It was this was this their first experiment making a 3D Sonic like you know how a Sonic Adventure would eventually be? So no, I don't think it was like Sonic Adventure. It was isometric and uh, but you, know, you like still game... went went like third person perspective. You still went through loops in like a first person view. Kind I don't of know almost, if right? you went through loops, but I I really don't remember. Uh, it, from what I remember, it it looked like Marble Madness or like oh. um or like what's that other game like Snake Rattle oh, and Roll. Oh, you are absolutely correct. Uh, I haven't seen Snake Rattle and Roll, even though I own it. I haven't seen Marble. Well, I've seen Marble Madness. This looks a lot like like kind of like a mix between Marble Madness and that Kirby game, like those old Kirby games that had this kind of view on NES where it just uses this isometric, uh, different level, like Kirby will fly through a level based on the curvature that you like throw them through, I think. Yeah. So to answer your question, uh, it kind of looks like a Genesis game in, in my opinion that, uh, that maybe, you know, I, I'm not really sure what the CD part was doing there, but our topic though, or our point here is that if a game is for the Sega 32 X, you want people to say that it's a 32X game and that you're yes. playing some 32X. You don't want to say it's a Genesis game. Which, well, 32X uh, is its own even cartridge. So, like, you couldn't fit a 32X cartridge into a Genesis, I don't think. Okay, right, right. Well, same with, like, the FDS, right? They're, they're discs. Yes. Uh, which, yeah, I guess I do agree with, with, like, the FDS. And, you know, I guess that's, like, the only... Uh, only system that i really have an attachment for so i guess you wouldn't that's that. to another point uh you wouldn't say i've got this game for my duo r my pc engine duo r first of all because that's nonsense because no games were made for specifically for the duo r mm -hmm. to my knowledge uh don't think there would be because the only benefit to the duo r was i think it just had faster read write speed so what am i supposed to call the pc engine then because duo Games weren't made specifically for the duo. They were made for the CD attachment for the PC Engine, which was called what? Which was called the Super SD System 2, I think. Oh, I, I, Wait, I don't no, know if that's I want to say that. That might, that, that's, the, that's the marketing name for actually uh, Terra Onion's uh, Flash. Let's look at Rondo of Blood here. Super it's, CD. It says Super CD-ROM 2 system, and the 2 is, like, squared. I would say, honestly, 
if I were to make it up, if I were to wing it, I would say Turbo CD. Okay. I or, mean, or PC Engine CD. Well, now, now you're just making shit up, though. Am I? I feel well, like I've heard that before, actually. All right, all right, all right, all right. So I, ha so I have a PC Engine Duo, and I played some Rondo of Blood on the PC CD. PC okay, Engine so, so I just Super want you to CD-ROM 2 system. Based on a Google search right now, uh, I searched <laughs> PC Engine CD. There is a Wikipedia page that says PC Engine CD, but it's just one of those pages that is a reference, like, placeholder page for something that goes to the TurboGrafx-16 page, which mm -hmm. just goes down to the add-ons menu. So okay. while... Okay, so here's what it says. Super CD-ROM 2, or squared, which is what is on your box. In 1991... NEC introduced an upgraded version of the Super CD or the Super CD or damn it, the CD-ROM squared system known as the Super CD-ROM 2, you know, which updates the BIOS version to 3.0 and increases the buffer RAM from 64 kilobytes to 256 kilobytes. This upgrade was released in several forms. The first was the PC Engine Duo on September 21st, a new model of the console with a CD-ROM drive and upgraded BIOS/RAM already built into the system. This was followed by the Super System card released on the Oct on October 26th. That was an upgrade for the existing CD-ROM 2 add-on that serves as a replacement to the original system card. The PC Engine owner or PC Engine owners who did not already own the original CD-ROM squared add-on could instead opt for the Super CD-ROM 2 unit, an updated version of the add-on released on December 13th, which combines the CD-ROM drive, interface unit, and Super System card into one device. So it seems like the CD or Super CD seems to be a unique situation in console history here where it is the center of the console, but it is only referenced and shown and marketed as an accessory. Kind of like the Sega CD. Yeah, it sounds like, a, but, like just like the Sega CD. But with the Sega CD, uh, there was... Okay. So I'm lying now because I was going to say with the Sega CD, it was never released as a single all-in-one unit. But then there was the Sega CDX. Well, there was wasn't there also the Neptune, which never came out, but it was like it was going Prototype. to be a yeah, it was going to be a Genesis with the CD built into it. I want to say that was not that. I want to say the Neptune was the mobile Sega Saturn kind of like there was the Sega. Mm. Uh, the Sega, uh, shit, the Neo, not the Naomi, that's the arcade board. The Sega, um, fuck, was it, whatever was the portable Genesis, it was not the Game Gear, it was the Genesis in your whole ass hand. Sega Nomad. So it was the Sega Nomad for the Saturn era, I want to say. But, uh, uh, Sega just released a video actually, like, last year, where that shit was like, here's a never-before-seen prototype, and they show the Sega Neptune... And it was like that, like control scheme, you know, the Saturn control scheme. I want to say. Okay, uh, un unless I misunderstood what you just said, I think we're both wrong. I think uh, I'm wrong too now because I'm just now realizing why the fuck would there be a Sega handheld with a CD drive? <laughs> so what I'm getting on Wikipedia is that the Neptune is an unproduced two-in-one Genesis and 32X console. Yes. Okay. So, so it was yeah. that space age looking Gen 2 Genesis. Do you remember the, the, the Generation 2 
Sega Genesis. Mm-hmm. I had like a little one. UFO. Yes, I loved it. That was it was the only Sega Genesis I ever had. This looked like that, except it had a more angled look to it. That was the Neptune. Thirty two X Genesis all in one. You're correct. Yes. Yeah. The, well, Wikipedia is correct. I, I, I thought it oh, was yeah. had the C D attachment. But yeah, yeah. So anyway, um man, where where are we here? Uh yeah, I don't know. I guess the floor is open. I'm gonna ask you a question. Um mm-hmm. this is hardware related, not game wise. If someone approached you today or well maybe not someone because that'd be weird but say you saw an ad in best buy or something it's Mm -hmm. black friday say say it's black friday you're looking at best buy you're looking for hardware deals you're looking for what's the latest maybe like maybe like xbox s series s will go on sale i've been i've been kind of trying to want to buy one of those for like a cool emulation hacked console you know digital only whatever I'm looking for a sale. It's Black Friday. Uh, I'm going to mention it's Black Friday one more time because it's annoying. And then <laughs> I'm going to say you find something in that catalog that that just goes, whoa, this says Xbox on it, but why does it cost so much? What happens if you find a product that is made as a joint venture between Xbox and Sony as one solid console. Also, if you want, there's a module that you can uh, buy that you can interchange with a piece that also lets you play your Switch games. Is this a dream you had or something? Like, what No, <laughs> what are it's you a... talking about, dude? Keep, uh, stick with me here. <laughs> now, what, what happens if, uh, if you get that uh, in one machine, right? Except, okay. except it also plays really high definition movies. So it plays Blu-ray, like okay. the next edition of Blu-ray. Just imagine with me, okay? All right. It plays that. Also, it's a karaoke machine. Okay. Now I'm a little bit more on board. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. All right. So, uh, imagine I charge an amount of money for it. Okay. The price is going to be pretty much. All of those things combined. If you wanted a, an Xbox 360, or not 360, I'm sorry. God damn it, I'm showing my age. If you wanted the latest Xbox, and you wanted the latest PlayStation, PS5, and you also wanted this latest Switch, well, you know, it's just a Switch. It's not the latest Switch. You, you get a Switch module that you can plug in if you want. And also, you get this other weird shit with it, too. Would you pay... The probably about like twenty two hundred or twenty two thousand damn it twenty two twenty two hundred dollar price tag for it. How much does a karaoke machine cost? Complicated question because karaoke machines can have different features like so when light you say, shows and all that. Okay, yeah, I was gonna say when you say this thing's a karaoke machine, what immediately popped into my head is whoa! Now this thing is like half the room and is like a, it's a no. stage and it's got a it's podium. It's the biggest console you've ever seen. But it's not much bigger than that PS5. <laughs> so as far as it's carry, <laughs> as far as the karaoke part of it goes, then it's like so it's a console and it hooks up to the TV, and I'm guessing the TV displays the lyrics and you plug microphones into it via USB. Oh yeah, on-screen display everything you need for. Karaoke. So then that part of it doesn't even really even need to factor into the cost because it's basically software at that point. 
let's imagine karaoke at this point in time requires a little bit more hardware. I don't know. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, you, you got to pay for the licensing on all the music. You know. Uh, there you go. Yeah. Um, Throw that in. But there. still, okay. So, but hang on. So what so, I just uh, described to you. Okay, go ahead. So it's like a PS5 and a Xbox are both like $500 each, right? So that was like $1,000. And then a Switch is like $300, right? So we're talking $1,300. Then we'll say a karaoke machine is like $400, right? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just putting it in the middle, right? So you're talking $1,700. Also, it plays the newest Blu-ray format that, like, you know, not even PS5 Okay, so it's going to do the what? new thing. So then yeah. whatever's after Blu-ray, it also plays this for some reason. Okay, what the fuck's your question now? <laughs> Would you buy it? Would you buy that? Oh, uh, mm. can you see a small niche of people who would buy it? A small niche, yeah. But I, I, I guess my issue is that it doesn't sound like it's a deal. You're talking about an all-in-one package where I just have to buy all the components at full price, you know. So what, what, what is in it for me? Uh, space savings. <laughs> okay, okay. Because it's, you know, it might be the biggest console ever, but it's still going to be smaller than the PS5. So it'll... it'll. So what it'll, I just uh, described to you is uh, replace Nintendo Switch with Turbo Graphics, replace Sony PS5 with Sega Genesis, and then replace Nintendo... Uh, or, I'm sorry, uh, Xbox with... Uh, actually... Shit, I might have well, to come back to that. Uh, but, I'm going to indulge your question for another moment, though. It yeah. Is that basically no? I wouldn't buy it because you wouldn't buy it. yeah, I don't think so because I I'm not going to get use out of every one of those things in order to buy it for full price. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I ha I, I want to play Switch games, so I got a Switch. I want to play PlayStation games, so I got PlayStation. Right? Uh, but and then like if I if I want to play some xbox games i can get that but at this point in time i don't so i'm not gonna pay for that you know what i mean it's kind of like when you buy a pre-built pc instead of or in it versus purchasing and building a pc yourself you know what i mean like uh if you go to hp or whatever and you buy a computer from them it's going to have a bunch of shit in it that you don't even want or will never use, but you're paying for it. You know what I mean? While if you build it yourself, then you just buy the things that you actually want. Uh, it's kind of like that, I guess, is what I'm saying. I might buy it because it'll be a weird item in the future, though, which maybe is getting to what you're saying now. So so I, I mentioned that there was that third console in there. Here's what I'm getting to. This is a console created by a company called Pioneer which you may know from like certain like high definition audio equipment like they make a lot of stereo equipment they are the inventors uh i believe or at least the owners of the rights for laserdisc the idea of this was that you uh <laughs> you could have your entertainment system literally all in one machine right in your like entertainment system or entertainment center at a time where like computers with midi were a thing you know you'd have like a system where you want to make music or you want to make like karaoke screens or something you have to use a complex editing program stuff like that if you're trying to make custom stuff you know unless you're just weren't just going down to the bar down the street but um the uh pioneer laser active was essentially that so 
I, I don't, I don't want to make this podcast essentially, uh, you know, Wikipedia simulator, but here, I'm going to read this off here just because this is important. The Laser Active is a converged device and fourth generation home video game console capable of playing laser discs, compact disc CDs, console games, and LDG karaoke discs. It was released by Com- or Pioneer Corporation in 1993. Uh, so essentially, like it also played LD ROM stuff, which I want to say was you know Laserdisc ROM, the other side of CD ROM. So you could put actual software on Laserdisc well as well. And there's like a lot of I think there's actually a bunch of point and click adventure games on Laserdisc because you know they're one of the few things where you can interact with with very minimal input. But uh, its introductory price into the market, uh, which technically makes it the most expensive console if you don't consider it like, you know, consoles being a singular thing like PS4, Xbox, etc. $970. So $970 in 1993 money, I want to say, due to inflation, is around two grand. Let me check that, though. Yeah, that... that it is spendy. I mean, I it, right, like like I'm saying, I I kind of worry just that you wouldn't use all of the aspects of it, you know, and so that would end up being why it would be kind of a waste of money in some ways. It's it's seventeen hundred dollars, by the way, basically eighteen hundred dollars with tax. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I just I I feel like you you wouldn't use all of it. Um, but it seems like one know. of those things that like mostly only rich people. We're trying to put together some crazy home theater device or are pretty much going to buy. Mm-hmm. So what you mentioned about it also being like a Laserdisc player, though, is uh, so what that makes me think of is the fact that um, new video game consoles are generally the new uh, media viewing devices anyway, which yes. has been a really interesting development. You know, ever since the PS3 was the cheapest Blu-ray player, uh, that you could get, or at least like the best one, or something like that. Ah, the PS3 was a good choice for a Blu-ray player when it came out. Um, and uh, well, e- even that the was P- a trend because the PS2, yeah, the, the, like people bought a PS2 to have a DVD player because in yeah. some instances when that came out, uh, a full-fledged like rack mount, like just normal stereo hi-fi setup for it, you throw a DVD player in there, more expensive than a PS2, I think. Yeah. Um, right. And so, and then the PS3 was a uh, Blu-ray player and then we're just kind of still on that right now, but we're, we're still on that as far as physical media, but, uh, as far as if you want like, like, uh, Netflix and that kind of stuff, um, it was really convenient even again with the PS3 that, uh, that it was also a device that could run Netflix and that kind of thing. Um, I am ashamed to say that my PS3 has so many more hours of netflix than any video game ever yeah on that console so uh so yeah it's 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 interesting just that that that's the thing is that generally the cutting edge of media viewing is taken care of uh by consoles already uh at this point and that said funny thing about that um there's been a lot of talk uh online i've seen about people who want the ps5 to be able to play ps1 2 and 3 games and the fact that why well right so it's a it's a really weird subject because like on one hand 
do I want the PS5 to have more functionality, you know, if it's just at that level? Then yeah, sure, of course. But when you consider all the other factors, it just doesn't really make sense. Because you can, if you want to play PS2 games, you can just get a PS2, you know? Uh, especially with, like, the stuff that we talk about with all of the things that modernize old consoles to HDTVs nowadays. You can just get a PS2. I don't know how long that's going to be true, though. Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. Um, the problem, though, is that the PS5 is already the biggest fucking console I've ever seen. I don't want them to have to put more hardware into it and make it even bigger and even more expensive uh, so that it can play games for systems that I already have. Um, you know... I tell you what I do want, though. I want a new revision PS5 to fix this fucking C-bomb problem. I don't mean oh, to change yeah. the subject, but do you, we can talk about that if you want to. No, we yeah yeah. These are some issues with the PlayStation that we can speak about. We'll get we'll, let's get to that in a minute. Okay. So the the other thing though, I I just want to bring up one particular subject is that uh, so when people talk about it it not being able to play PS one and two games, the thing is that those are on CDs and DVDs, and the PS five might not read CDs and DVDs at all. It might only read Blu rays because if you don't know. CDs, DVDs, and Blu-rays all require a different type of electric eye in order to read them. So devices that can read both of them actually have multiple eyes in them to use for those different types of discs. And, uh, and, and so if the PS5 can't read CDs and DVDs, um, I've just heard people saying like, oh, how pathetic is it that it can't read CDs and DVDs? <laughs> and I'm just like, not really, man. No. I don't... <laughs> Like what can is it like? Can you read Aramaic? Can you read fucking <laughs> uh, Sanskrit? I don't think that's that impressive that it doesn't know how to read, or you know, disappointing that it can't read us. Right? Like what is it like? Hey, God, oh man, I got a PS5, dude. I can finally listen to this fucking Dookie by Green Day CD <laughs> that I've had for twenty years. Oh man, we can finally watch this. DVD <laughs> copy of Beverly Hills Ninja. <laughs> we're the one. We're the YouTube channel that just says, "Will it play?" So playing like one shitty CD on like the latest like thing that has a disc drive. Yeah, people with that. People who make that kind of content, I guess. I don't know, man. What what is the use case? People don't use CDs anymore. Why do you need it to be a CD running on a PS5? Right, exactly. So it's like it's it's not that big a deal that it. You know, the Wii didn't play DVDs, and at no. first, and at first, people were like, "What do you mean it doesn't play DVDs?" And Nintendo was like, "Everybody has a DVD player already. It doesn't need to do it." Yeah, um, I'll tell you what's cool though is uh, a collector's item. You can actually find a Wii game that is just the application for Netflix. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I, I like there's a, if you ever watch the YouTube channel Scott the Waz, uh, he's mm. got a lot of videos that are about weird stuff like that, particularly Nintendo stuff. Uh, so so basically though, I don't know. It's like I get it that not everybody has a PS3 and a PS2 uh, to play those games on you know like i'm saying where i'm like i don't need a system to play things for systems i already have um but i mean at least at this point in time ps1s are like the cheapest retro video game system out there yes. uh ps2s are not very expensive and ps3s are not very expensive but i mean would it be nice if it played those games yeah except that it i worry that like it 
the PS5 would be more expensive if it had to have those internal components in order to play those things. Are you frozen right now, or are you just taking, like, a really long, very still drag off that e-sig? This is, whoa, Knox is about to bust the fattest fucking cloud you guys have ever seen. So real quick, you mentioned, uh, as far as issues with the PS5, uh, and then this also extends back to the PS4, and Xbox, uh, is that they've got the CMOS battery, which dies because it's a battery, but for those systems, it's a particular issue, isn't it? And I was surprised to hear that it's actually an issue sooner than people were expecting, because with the PS3, the PS4, and the PS5, when they can't, when their CMOS battery dies, they lose clock time, and that loses their ability to sync with the servers. So we have a twofold problem. We have a battery that eventually is going to die and cause you a problem. So what that means is you need to go into your console. You need to take it apart, get yourself a screwdriver, hope for the best if you don't know what you're doing, and then find that little watch battery. Hopefully it's something that's not like soldered in place and you can just easily snap it out and replace it with another CMOS battery. It's just a little CR2032 battery that are, they've been using in, in watches for years. Very dependable. They last for decades and decades. Um, and this is what surprised me. The CR2032s or, you know, CMOS batteries that they used in the PS3, allegedly, those are already starting to fail. Mm. Now, one thing I will say also, though, is that even if those batteries are soldered in place, generally that's like pretty much the easiest kind of soldering that you can do if you do have to replace it. But there's well, more problem. When you're armed with a screwdriver and nothing else. Yeah, right. You you need at least a soldering iron to do it and some a little bit of, you know, wire. Um, and like you just said, the, like yeah, like you just said, there's something else. This is a twofold problem. Yep. So you the other problem is... You need to also be is, able to authenticate. Yes. So once the, so let's say it's, it's 20 or 30 years in the future and uh, PlayStation Network isn't supporting the system anymore... Um, you know, let's say your, your CMOS battery dies. Oh, we haven't, we haven't mentioned the problem that happens when the battery dies. You can't play games anymore, is what yeah, happens. Yeah, your, your console is bricked. Yes. So, once the battery on the board dies, it no longer runs games. Every game soft locks upon booting up, uh, or hard locks, really, um, yeah. because it is not able to authenticate. Uh, which then means, or, or it's not able to... Uh, let, let, let me get it this needs to straight. To the, it needs to connect to the PlayStation Network servers, which have to be online and running for you to be able to get back into your PlayStation experience. Once the battery dies. Because basically... Once the battery dies. Yeah, because the, the, the board has something saved on it that it has downloaded from PlayStation Network in order to get trophies going or something like, something yeah. like that at a high yeah. level. And and I'm glad you mentioned that because that is what is centered around. Like the, the whole flaw in the system is based around the trophy system of logging into PlayStation Network and confirming you are who you, who you say you are. Yeah. So uh, that's why. So so that's why right now, even if your system is offline, it can still play games. But once that battery dies, it loses its ability to play games until you replace the battery and connect back to PlayStation Network for it to re-authenticate once. Which means, once if it dies in the future, when that service is no longer available, it's fucked. 
It's uh, fucked. It, fucked is the best way to say it because the whole issue seems like we're it seems like we're putting a lot of focus on the battery, which is fair because this is the machine that we have in our hands. This is what we bought. This is what we have. Uh, that's what goes wrong with it. But the real root problem is the fact that it needs to authenticate with those servers. And Sony has already said, you know, hey, we're going to shut down Vita and PS3 stores, uh, the digital store. So at this date, those servers are shutting down. And sorry, you're fucked after that, which meant you can't buy games on the on the network anymore after that. But I want to say also, if all PS3 support is shut down, you can't use your PS3 anymore at all because you can't authenticate with the servers because they're offline. Right. Which is and a then huge that... fucking flaw in the system, which is surprising that it lasted all the way to PS5. Yeah, because... and it kicks my argument's ass about PS5 doesn't need backward compatibility. I have a PS3. Well, joke's on me. It doesn't work anymore <laughs> in a few yeah. years. I was going to say, it's, uh... like, it's, it's, it's all about making sure your system... Okay. God damn it. Okay, I guess it... No, it doesn't make sense with Sony because the PS2 doesn't have this problem at all. The PS1 doesn't have this problem. As long as it has power and the disc in it doesn't have rot and it, and that laser is working and is even remotely close to being somewhat calibrated, it'll work. You can play a game. As long as mm-hmm. you see that boot screen, it'll go. It doesn't need any kind of online authentication, validation, or anything. It's such a weird thing for Sony to have baked into the cake so early on that if we can't log in, if if, if Situation X happens, whole system, useless. Like, why would that... How did that get ever passed through testing or, or, or just... I, yeah, so and this the company this, that sold the PS2, the most successful fucking system of all time, thinks, well, you know, maybe people won't have this later on. <laughs> maybe people right. won't care. Yeah, I this goes all the way back to our discussion about what is retro and I was saying, it means you put the game in and play it and there's no bullshit, you know? This is exactly the bullshit is that the systems that I call retro, the games will always work cuz you put them in and you play it. But now here's uh these systems that have these complicated interfaces and and uh, installs and shit, and now this is, uh, you know, an issue that comes out of it. Hopefully, like you're saying, you brought up a good point, though, which was that the battery is what people are focusing on, even though it isn't the actual issue. Hopefully the actual issue is something that Sony can fix with software. Hopefully they can just make a firmware update that has some kind of fallback plan for the, or what 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 do they call that? Uh, like a fail safe or a whatever. A contingency plan. Yeah, just an internal uh, workaround so that when that happens, it'll still at least play games. Maybe like, yeah. you don't get trophies anymore. Maybe like you know? fucking wild ass idea. Like I know we've never been able to survive without trophies before, but holy fuck, at least your games will work. Mm-hmm. Like. Well, I, do, I, do, I don't understand why that decision ever made it past testing or anything. Because, like, dude, what was the retail price of the PS3 at launch? That was 600 bucks. $599.99. And people can't even, like, okay, here's the big, here's the thing. <gasps> It'll play PS2 games. Now, here is an era where that is a real marketing sell. For someone who goes, 
I've played the shit out of my PS2. I, someone personally, me, me, I rented Grand Theft Auto Vice City from Blockbuster so many times that eventually my PS2 said, error reading, DVD, Grand Theft Auto, Vice City. And I was like, it's not a fucking DVD, you idiot. Because <laughs> I was a kid. I didn't know how this shit worked. Uh, they're DVDs that the, the games are on. Anyway, I wouldn't play it. I, I played Grand, Grand, uh, Vice City so much that like sometimes it was just temperamental about reading that specific disc. Uh, <laughs> here's the dark secret and where I'm going to play Devil's Advocate. Sony probably makes enough money, or at least they did. I don't know about now. Uh, I hear their TV business went to the shitter and they had to stop making TVs. Anyway, I don't think they care enough about software preservation because I think they feel that the software right now in its current state is at a point where it is going to be perfectly easy to emulate these games in 10 years' time. No problem. Yeah. I don't think they care about these original discs working because I think their future consoles are going to play this software without any problems whatsoever. You think that the that they are going to care more about backward compatibility in the future, you're saying? like the PS6? At least for digital games. Because, listen, it only makes sense. Mm, okay. the, the whole idea since PS3 was, hey, you had these games before, but hey, what if you just pressed a button and they load? You don't have to get up. You don't have to put a disc in. You don't have to do anything. You can just press it, and it'll play. The software works. Software emulation will run this game. Okay. So you think their future plan is to unroll a big backward compatibility thing later that's going to be PlayStation Universe and you can play games from PS1, 2, 3, 4, and 5? Based off of how well developed the emulators are for both PS1 and PS2, I think the likelihood is pretty high. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely, like, with, with you know, streaming as a, a bigger and bigger service. Um, yes, you know, that I, too. I think that's a good point. I, I I do think this is something that I feel like people have been saying for a while is that that kind of seems like the natural progression, especially for old games. Uh, streaming the data of a PS1 game it, it, with today's internet speeds is not an issue at all. Like I could download can, the whole game in the, in the time that it takes to get to the, the first menu screen. Exactly. Uh, so, so yes, yeah, so streaming... A PS1 game seems super easy. I mean, that's what, uh, like, the Switch kind of has that. I don't think that they're actually streamed. I think that they're all downloaded on the Switch, but I'm not sure. Uh, for they, what? Uh, so for, for Nintendo's online for the Switch, you Their get like a... classic selection? Or? Yeah, you get like a Netflix-style uh, NES and SNES selection I think they're emulated. Pretty sure they're just emulated. Yeah, I'm I'm just wondering, though, is do they... Like, do you download the game each time, or is it already downloaded? I think it's already downloaded. But that's the point, though, is that, you know, there's like 100 games each, and it's a negligible amount of space, and so... It's a negligible totally, yeah. for streaming. Negligible also. is the best word because I was going to say, like, those games are probably like, what, 30 kilobytes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, I, that's an interesting perspective that you think that, uh, right, that Sony just doesn't care because they've got a plan for the future instead. Um, yeah, I don't I think know. If, um, I think if, like, the. Uh, <laughs> I think if Dreamcast made the future what it should have been, <laughs> then the PS2 would have come native with the network jack. And I think if PS2, I think if Sony had the advanced mind to have 
uh, network connection 24-7, I think they probably would have done a little bit more to make the PS2 experience probably a little bit closer to the PS3 where there would be like maybe just this small little niche service that you could probably try and subscribe to with Sony where maybe for like 10, 15 bucks a month, maybe you could play your PS1 games on PS2 or maybe you can play PS1 games that you can't find. Like maybe they're rare or they're expensive and you can play those no problem on PlayStation Network. That subscribe would have been pretty today. damn ahead of its time back in the PS2 days. But yeah, yeah, well, Sega was ahead of its time. Like it, they had the they had the integrated network. Uh, you know, the, the they had all that shit where like the, that generation, everyone else was doing peripherals. Like they had Sega Channel, dude, where you could download games off your TV line. Yeah, that's crazy. nuts. So all right, yeah, um, yeah, the CMOS thing is a big deal. I hope that they just fix it with a with a software update. I mean, I. I can't imagine why they couldn't, but I'm not the guy who built it, so I guess I don't know. It's a pretty big deal though. I would say I would say firmware would be the best that we could hope for. Um I don't think they're gonna release a new version of the PS five where that's not an issue. Right. Um so yeah, and for everything else there's custom firmware, which Tell you what's the thing. Here's something I wasn't gonna expect to say about this. Thank fuck for Nintendo, because they're not going to have this issue. <laughs> Dude, this is what I'm always saying. Nint- people people say Nintendo is stuck in the past like it's a bad thing, but they're, <laughs> they're the only company that makes games that are fun because they know that a fun game sells well and makes them money because it's fun and people want to buy it. And they have the last laugh because they have the worst possible online subscription service, too. Well, it's $20 a year, dude. It's so cheap compared to the other ones, and you get a bunch of NES and SNES games to play with it. Love that. That was my favorite feature of the Switch. I was so happy with how well the Switch emulated those games. Like, those mm-hmm. games run fantastic. I fell in love with Twin B because of the Switch. I never heard or played that game before. But that is a fantastic cute em up shooter game. Very good. I think uh, I have it for Famicom, actually. It is a well, Famicom game, yeah. When I got a, my AV Famicom, it came with 10 games as just, like, a lot, and I, I'm Twin B is one of them, and yeah, it's fun. Well, the classic Sega uh em up kind of shooter game was Fantasy Zone, and I think I think Twin B might have been trying to work off of that kind of mm. fame. But the, C, the C-Bomb battery, or the <laughs> C-Bomb, this, it, the C-Bomb issue is not necessarily with the hardware but how it's programmed to work because yeah fuck everything about making something on my shelf not work because of something that happened in the airwaves that made it through a cable that touched my ps5 you know yep like i just want my shit to work i'm sorry if that makes me a boomer but like i buy physical editions for a reason i want shit as a fail safe if i have no power this is another huge problem, too. If I have no power, I should be able to play my fucking video game still if mm. I power my house. If I have no internet, I should have said, you know. If I have no internet, I should still be able to play video games. Yeah. Again, I mean, I don't know. You know, it's just I, I hope they fix it with software because if not, yeah, it's like uh, it's like a whole 
Like, this is something new. It's a whole new level of, of like, what the fuck are they doing? And it's I've a, heard that the Xbox has an issue with it also. It's a little different, though. So it's the some, Xbox doesn't have a CMOS battery. Oh. It just just works normally. But it still has the the, the, the functional flaw here of still needing to authenticate to Xbox's servers. Yeah. So... So this Which, has like been the, the the whole crux of the argument for physical media since the beginning was, what happens when sh- servers get shut down? I want my shit here, and I want the hardware that I have to play it to read it, and there be no problems. Mm-hmm. There is uh, it, it, so so this kind of idea also extends a little bit to games as a service and individual games that get shut down and are never able to be played again. Uh, due to the nature of the games themselves, you know, and uh, I won't go super into it, but yeah, it's a, it's an interesting topic just about like some games that are made with the knowledge that they will go down at some point and the servers will be shut down and this game is now unplayable. There is a very, very good video uh, on YouTube about it by, um, oh, his first name is Ross and... Uh, it's gonna drive me nuts if I don't remember his last name. It might just be Ross Scott. Anyway, his YouTube channel is called Accursed Farms, and I would very much recommend watching his video about games as a service and why he thinks they should be illegal and his, like, whole idea of what the law should be around it. It's it's good stuff. His That's name all. is Ross Scott, yeah. Accursed Farms. Cool. On YouTube. Just a recommendation. That that guy in general, his whole channel is really great, Um, but that that video in general. Just a little recommendation. It's real good. But all right. Sweet. I, I think that was a good little uh, conversation. I hope you guys uh, enjoyed. And uh, thanks for joining me, Knox. Thanks for having me, Dash. Yeah. And if you guys are, are catching this on uh, on YouTube or Spotify or what have you, um, yeah, we are, uh, we are also live on Twitch when we do it on Tuesdays. Tuesdays at 10 p.m. and or 9 p.m. Eastern, 9 or 8, I guess, would be Central. That usually is 9 Central, yeah. 9 Central. Let's let's not just be confusing as fuck. <laughs> yeah, 10 or 9 Central Somewhere or Eastern. There, we'll be talking about Central. <laughs> All right. Have yourselves a good night. Thanks for watching. Later, later. See Have you later. One. Peace. Thanks for, thanks for listening.